Welcome to another edition of Global Investment Leaders. Hello all, I'm Chaz Burkhart, CEO of Rosemont, and thank you for joining me for another edition of Global Investment Leaders. Today, my guest is a gentleman who has had a very distinguished 30-year investment career, starting in early stage and venture, and moving from there to running the investment program at the Annie E. Casey Foundation, to being the CIO at the Cleveland Clinic for the last eight years. Welcome, Stefan Strine. Good afternoon, Chaz, and welcome to all the listeners. I'm really glad that you were able to do this, Stefan, and thanks for joining me. Why don't we start out with a little bit of kind of the Cleveland Clinic's mission and how the investment department functions within that? One of the things that we've talked about over time that I found interesting is that the investment department was outsourced to Strategic Investment Group and then insource the business, and you built a team behind that. Talk a little bit about that transition, the rationale behind it, and how it's gone. That transition was actually what drew me to the Cleveland Clinic. So the Cleveland Clinic decided in 2009 to outsource its portfolio, and it had a very successful run with Strategic Investment Group um, down in, in, based on Northern Virginia. Uh, but in 2015, they decided it was it was time to build an investment office internally. They had the capacity and the wherewithal to do that, and so they asked me to come to to Cleveland to to do just that. And then over about the course of about 18 months, we built the infrastructure to be able to insource those assets and manage them, report on them, measure the risk uh, or them. And then essentially over the following five years. We, we slowly evolved the portfolio, uh, preserving many of the investment managers that Strategic Investment Group seeded the portfolio with, uh, and then obviously selecting new investment managers as events changed and the markets changed and new opportunities arose. So that's really what brought us to the clinic, and that's how the portfolio uh, was, was built. In a way, it was a startup, but it was a very fortunate startup that had uh, a very large pool of capital uh, to start with. And um, and it's been an amazing journey, honestly. I, I honestly don't think I could think of a more interesting or fascinating period of time to, to have been with the clinic. Since we joined, since I joined it in 2015, the clinic has gone truly global. We opened up an, an enormous healthcare system, really, in, in Abu Dhabi, which many people have seen because it's such a visible building and part of the Abu Dhabi landscape. And just this past year, we opened our very first hospital in Europe with a uh, facility uh, in London. We also celebrated our 100th birthday two years ago, and we started our next century. At the same time, we encountered a global pandemic. So like, I literally don't know what more interesting seat I could have possibly found or the universe could have possibly provided me than being at the Cleveland Clinic right now. Well, here, here, and congratulations on your 100th birthday and all of your development. But before we get too far into the weeds about the investment program, the team, and how you think as an investor, Stefan, one of the things that we've chatted about over time is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that the Cleveland Clinic wants any specific acclaim or notoriety through its investment department. Sure. The Cleveland Clinic's brand is that we're the, we're the world's destination medical center. 
people from all over the globe have been coming to Cleveland for a very long time. And the clinic and its its leadership, both uh, past and present, want to be known for that. And that and that is the reason the investment office exists. It's to lift up the organization so that it can continue to be the world's best place for healthcare. Now we do that, you know, we we try to be engaged in the mission because I, I view, you know, working for a mission-based organization as being a higher calling uh, for my career. And, you know, while we're at a place like a, a Cleveland Clinic, our goal is to to be fully integrated in the mission. We're not just an investment office. We're the Cleveland Clinic investment office. And my team is part of, you know, 80,000 other caregivers around the world. And we have a finance unit that has another 3,000 uh, caregivers, uh, the vast majority of which are related to, you know, our clinical operations and enterprise. But this is where we find some advantages as an investment office, being part of a global organization and one of the world's leading healthcare institutions. We have access to tools uh, and systems that I don't think many investment offices have because they're things that are being used, you know, in a very large, complex healthcare system. So our data warehouse, our visualization tools, the AI and ML tools that we have, these are all things that are already being used in the clinical practices and the research labs around the world for the Cleveland Clinic. And we're just really fortunate that we get to have add-on licenses to so many of those things. No, it's a very good point. And I think as we think about your overall investment program and your team and what you've built, um, I find it, well, one, I find your team generally very intellectually curious and refreshing. I've noted that in, in a Thank number you. of conversations. Well, it's it's certainly true. But talk to us a bit about how you have fashioned the investment program. Give us a sense of the investment philosophy of your investment group and a kind of a broad asset allocation understanding. I do know that you've had a very big allocation of fixed income uh, assets for a long time. So maybe just give us an overall and then drill down a bit. Yeah, that, that is the nature, I think, of healthcare systems in general, because we're managing balance sheet capital, as well as endowed assets, that it tends to be more conservative. Um, you know, our, part of our, our reason for being is to contribute to the credit rating agency of the health system. Hospitals, you know, we are big, we are big users of capital, and, and therefore our credit rating is very important because we, we use a lot of, uh, of debt to finance the capital projects that make health systems destination medical centers. Uh, and that's all part of, you know, getting into the mission of, of, the, of, the, of the clinic as well. So we try to bring our team uh, as well as our investment partners into that mission to help with due diligence. We provide intros to our supply chain. We arrange hospital tours and curate webinars for our investment partners. Um, and you know, we'll even um, uh, provide you know the the type of connectivity that allows our team to be deeply engaged in the mission of the organization, and then provides our investment partners to be deeply engaged in the mission of the organization. And that kind of is the foundation of the philosophy. We want our investment partners to understand why the portfolio exists. And by the way, we manage more than one. We actually manage four to five different investment portfolios, each of which has a very different purpose. It has a very different risk profile and risk tolerance um, and, and return goals, uh, as well as liquidity needs or, or illiquidity profile. So the program, you know, our team essentially, we don't have a team that oversees 
just the balance sheet capital or just the the pension fund. Our teams oversee the and the all of the portfolios together. What we try to do is use the investment relationships across the different portfolios as it's feasible. And that would extend from both the um you know the public equity managers and the fixed income uh, managers as well as uh, what we have in hedge funds and commodities and, and to a lesser extent uh, private capital managers because most of the other the non-balance sheet portfolios really don't have either the size or the liquidity to- illiquidity tolerance for private capital strategies but in general speaking you know we start with uh, an investment philosophy that the portfolios will be conservatively managed. Our goal is to have a very low volatility portfolio mm-hmm. uh, and to essentially outperform um, by not capturing the market downside when markets fall out of bed. Right. So we have a we have a a fairly significant and sizable allocation to what I call defensive assets. The fixed income, as you referenced, is the largest component of those. Uh, of those defensive assets. And I often wake up, think to myself, how did a venture capital guy get so, so much in in fixed income assets? What what a what a comedy it is that I've ended up I've ended up here. But yeah. um, you know, I've really grown uh, appreciation for the role of of diversification of assets um over the last couple of cycles that we've had, having fixed income in the portfolios. As you know, in our balance sheet portfolio, as well as on the pension plan, which is 100% funded, so we've gone to an LDI strategy that is, as you know, you know, it's rooted in fixed income. It, the the vast majority of assets are now are now fixed income. So, you know, watching you know the Fed and what's happened with interest rates with this very large fixed income and really world class investment partners in the fixed income universe has been a really interesting place to sit. And it's really helped us to think about the way that we diversify the portfolio, um, you know, during the crisis, as well as what's ahead of us uh, going forward. So then in general, overall, roughly what percentage of the portfolio would be equity oriented? What percentage would be fixed? What percentage would be a liquid or in privates? Just maybe a couple of specifics on that. Yeah. So if if you take just the balance sheet portfolio, which I said is, is the vast majority of the assets we manage. Um, about 55%, maybe let's just say 50% for the sake of, of ease, is growth assets, and about 50% of that is defensive assets. And then, and so, you know, growth would include public equities uh, as well as venture capital and private equity uh, and other diversifying assets in the private capital spectrum of sort of really niche strategies. And then on the defensive side, we have. Uh, fixed income. We have real assets, which are commodities and tips, and we also have absolute return hedge funds, which have a you know purposefully have a very low beta to the equity markets and have almost zero correlation to each other. So it's a it's a complex strategy that we put together in absolute return, but it paid great dividends this past year, as did our commodity assets. And what's the team in total? Uh, we have 22, 22 people on the team. It's about equally split between investment professionals and what I call risk and operations professionals. Right. We have um, we have a dedicated risk team that's growing and growing and growing, um, <laughs> and we have uh, an operations team that performs all of the as you'd imagine a performance 
uh, calculations. They also, obviously, they they move the money around uh, when it needs to be moved around, uh, and they perform the operational due diligence on all of our investment managers as well. I would think they've become increasingly important, especially in the last few years. They've been very important, and they're, I, I view them as being as critical a team as the, the team that picks managers. In yeah. fact, when we moved the assets over, uh, we, you know, we moved them over from strategic investment group, it was actually the risk and performance team that we built first. Because in my view, you have to have the ability to, to report performance, to be able to move assets around and to measure risk before you get the privilege of choosing investment managers. Yeah. Um, you have to have that capability first and you have to be able to report to your fiduciaries and stakeholders with absolute certainty on the, the performance and the safety of the assets. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point to keep in mind for those with pools of capital consultants, OCIOs today in terms of how things are built and then what one can expect from a risk profile in terms of returns, the sustainability, unknown risk, et cetera. We start with the foundation that every asset class it can be passively invested. And so when you start with that, when you start with that philosophy, it's pretty easy to um, essentially figure out you know, where the priority needs to be when you're building an office. And then our job over time is to essentially diversify from that passive position. And we've done a good job of that. I mean, we we you know we start with the philosophy that if you if you have to terminate a manager for any any number of reasons, the money would go back into the passive index, and then we would then find a new active strategy to put it into. Yeah. And so when we start with that philosophy, that that you have you start with that passive portfolio. Um, you know, our our reason for being then is sort of to to find alpha over top of that. But in fact, you do have a relatively low passive passive weighting over your tenure. Those are more that's correct. Those are more holding bins and reference points as opposed to long-term strategic investments. That's correct. We don't have a we don't have a strategic weight to to passive strategies. We use it for liquidity. And we use it as the default. Again, when we don't have a manager that might be open or some capital comes into the portfolio, um, it goes into the passive strategy first and then gets redistributed to the active strategies when the time is appropriate. Let me ask you this. So let's go to your managers and those that have managed money for the Cleveland Clinic for some time or those that you would consider. What couple of adjectives come to mind in describing a firm? Regardless of asset class, private, public, equity fixed, global U.S., what are a couple of adjectives that come to mind for a manager that fits the clinic well and fits your investment eye well? Well, you know some of them because that's how we <laughs> met you. Yeah. So you know, so we prefer in many asset classes, not all, but in many asset classes, we prefer concentrated portfolios because what we don't want to do, uh, and the and the reason for that is we don't want to create essentially an index fund for the Cleveland Clinic. So, so we, you know, we assume that we are going to need diversification at the geography level, at the strategy level, at the asset class level. We don't necessarily need to create a lot of diversification by selecting lots of different managers who have very diversified portfolios inside the asset class. Right. So we we tend to, you know, we're not we don't shy away from a manager with a five to ten stock portfolio or a portfolio with maybe three investment themes that that doesn't bother us at all. In fact, it, it sort of excites us 
because we can actually we can see the value add to the entire portfolio from those types of strategies versus the more diversified strategies, which are additive at a fund level, but not a position level. Okay. Uh, Stefan, give me some other characteristics of managers that you find appealing. So we we like to find investment partners, uh, and we call them uh, partners, not necessarily managers. Uh, we like to, because we think of them as, as frankly, long-term relationships with the Cleveland Clinic. Um, we we look for ma- for partners that provide transparency. Again, going back to that risk engine that we use, you know, we have a position level risk engine. Our view is that data is going to get um, more ubiquitous, not less. And so we've been on a on a, essentially a position level risk system since we started. So we like managers who are comfortable sharing data with us on their portfolio. Sometimes that can be lagged for for good and valid reasons. Um, but we also we track, you know, with our own teams. Uh, we have a, over 200 dashboards that are fed by our investment uh, partners uh, that allow us to essentially uh, manage and oversee every aspect of the portfolio. We like managers who will come to Cleveland every once in a while, or meet us in Florida or Las Vegas or London, where we have facilities. Uh, we often do investment manager meetings at different places within the Cleveland Clinic's realm. Uh, and we like managers who who uh, will welcome us in uh, to their offices on a regular basis. We tend to have very tight relationships. We don't mind not only concentrated portfolios, but concentrated bases of managers. So we've been in uh, managers where we're one of you know one, two, three, four, five, six you know institutions. Yeah. But we do have a size problem because we do manage a fair amount of capital. We are always looking for managers that can that can take rather sizable accounts. Uh, from us. And oftentimes we're looking for a separately managed account um, that also, again, helps us with our risk engine, um, but also given the size of the account that we have, while we don't mind starting a commingled fund with a with a firm, separately managed accounts are just, are just more helpful. Right. And just from a size perspective, if you will, so it's not really efficient for you to put 10 or 25 million into a separate account. You're usually thinking much bigger numbers. We are so on the private side, you know, where we don't have separate accounts in private and private strategies. Though we do do co-investments and single transactions. Let's say our typical bite size for uh, a private strategy is anywhere from twenty-five to a hundred million dollars, and that depends on the number of managers that we have in that particular uh, strategy, um, the the frequency with which that investment partner raises capital. Uh, and the turnover of of those funds on a more liquid account in a public equity or a fixed income or hedge fund account, you know, we were really looking for something in the neighborhood of two to four hundred million dollars over time. But but that's really where it starts to move the needle for our portfolio, and that's what we're looking to do. That's why we're here for the Cleveland Clinic. So let's move on to. I think you're generally, as this conversation is proving out, a fairly innovative and creative investor. And I know through chats with your team that uh, you've considered businesses that invest in the money management world and gotten to know the GP stakes world a little bit. And some of what you've talked to, I think, speaks to that in terms of potential concentrated portfolios in folks that excel in some aspect of that world. Talk to me about how that resonates with you. And if you were to do anything like that, what specifically would be attractive? So, you know, I start with the premise that most people think of the Cleveland Clinic for our healthcare. They don't think of us for the investment office. So if you're an investment manager, 
that's spinning out from their organization, or you're just a really talented individual who's going to go off and hang up their shingle. My guess is most people don't think about coming to Cleveland Clinic or or our investment office for that opportunity. So we're a bit under the radar screen from that perspective. And so, you know, we have, like others have um, that are of our size and capacity, started to do more emerging managers. And we've done it in a number of different asset classes where size does matter. And I mean, small size does matter, not necessarily large size does matter. So we've seeded a number of different um, investment firms in the venture capital and private equity space uh, where we've gone in to, to spin outs. And we've done that with a couple of, uh, well, with one partner, actually two partners in specifically that are fund of funds that we use as a center. We either fund their micro strategy um, or we use them as the hub, knowing that there's going to be a lot of spokes spinning out of that. And sometimes that's just geographical disadvantage uh, of our team not being in Asia or not being in Silicon Valley. And then in other cases, like in the hedge fund space, again, we're just not in the flow as much as we'd like to be. And so we use seeding strategies, oddly enough, more as a credit strategy for us because of the low volatility of the return, the way they structure their seeds. And then, of course, we get a front row seat at all of the interesting managers that they get a chance to take a look at and do diligence on. And so for us, what we've tried to do is structure, you know, let's call it a little bit more comprehensive partnerships where we're sitting with them going through due diligence, uh, whether it's in, again, an absolute return, it's in public equities or it's in venture capital uh, alongside their funds. So with the intent purpose that we're gonna seed some number of those managers ourselves. I think what's interesting when I've talked with uh, members of your team about aspects of this discussion has been that, as you know, Rosemont focuses on indefinite, sustainable companies and investments, where the investment engine is very important, but depending on the nature of the business, the quality of the people, the tenure and stickiness of the client relationships, a lot of other things besides just the investment acumen are really important to us. And as discussions, if you and your colleagues sometime have proven out, certainly if it's a public investment, you can elect at some point, if things are not going according to plan, to sever ties and move on. And that would be unfortunate. But from our point of view, one of the challenges of trying to find forever partners is the possibility that they will basically become the walking dead or will go out of business or will really be a blight on of the overall reputation and, and quality of the partnerships we're trying to form. How do you think about that kind of absolute risk versus just the risk that the business doesn't deliver the returns you modeled? So that one of the reasons why we go through partners is because, you know, we're probably not necessarily the first dollar that's going to commit to a, a, a brand new investment firm. But we don't mind being the second or third dollar. And so that's why I think Rosemont and, and others have the capacity to do that kind of investing for us because we really don't have the ability to micromanage a new spin out. Um, we aren't uh, willing to take the reputational risk on a flame out, et cetera. And there usually isn't reputational risk there, but sometimes there can be. And so um, what we're trying to do is essentially be the early pioneers, but yeah. not necessarily the frontier pioneer. You know the saying about that. They get shot, right? So, Well, the pioneers get the arrows, but the settlers get the land. 
Right. Yeah. So so yeah. So that maybe maybe we're somewhere between the pioneers and the and the settlers. <laughs> but uh, you know, our view is that we have to take that risk because we're always building a bench list of new and innovative investment partners. You never know when you know the universe is going to change and the investment landscape is going to require a different skill set or a manager is going to elect not to to go forward. And so our job as allocators is to constantly be building that bench of talent so that when and if we do need a new investment partner, we have one that we can grow and scale. We have certainly fallen on our face. This happened actually just this last year. Uh, where we had an investment, you know, a, a new and emerging manager where we seeded them and it just didn't work out. And we, you know, we worked our way through the sort of essentially the wind down of that so that it wouldn't hurt them or their employees or their track record. But also we weren't going to prolong it in such a way that it was going to it was going to essentially be bad for our capital. Well, appreciate that. And as you and I know, and many others know, the startup and spin out business is incredibly risky. And the vast majority fail either quickly or after a little bit of time, but it's still incredibly tantalizing to kind of shoot for the stars and to achieve the kind of success that a limited number have. So I appreciate that. So why don't we finish up, Stefan, with just the whole notion of success. The success by the Cleveland Clinic's definition, if you were to ask your colleagues um, outside the investment department what they would view as key success metrics for the investment side. And just what you personally, uh, you know, you come with, as you said, this is kind of very atypical background for a guy running a pool like this now, and how you've thought about what may what makes the investment program at the Cleveland Clinic successful over a long period of time. Sure. So I think about the success of the investment office for the Cleveland Clinic, obviously, we want to outperform our benchmarks. We want to be a, a low-cost solution for an organization that operates in an industry with very, very low and tight margins, and they're they're getting lower and tighter. So we want to be cost-effective. But at the same time, I, I think the real purpose of the investment office is to be the financial backbone of an incredibly innovative and entrepreneurial ecosystem so that we can essentially cover the financial certainties that they need to be the most innovative and resourceful uh, healthcare system in the world. And that actually is the highest level of success to allow the Cleveland Clinic to continue to take risks in the pursuit of innovation in healthcare uh, without fear of failing because there's a, some sort of terrible financial ramification to, to failing on an experiment. To, to take that off the table, to me, is the highest definition of success. So it's not really about the investment office success. It's really about allowing the clinic to be innovative that allow it to continue to be a, you know, the global success that it's become. Well, that's not surprising and that's consistent with the mission. So Stefan, give me a quick summary of your view of success from the team's perspective. So our team, uh, we have a generalist model where people are encouraged to work across platforms. 
uh, asset classes, geographies, et cetera. Um, so the credit team works on the equity team and the risk team and the research team all work collaboratively. And my real objective on this is really to lift up the staff so that they can achieve their own professional goals. You know, there's very low team turnover in investment offices like this. I constantly get feedback from investment managers that I, that I very much value, that our team is really one of the most innovative and intellectually curious teams that they encounter in the allocator universe. And what I really want to do is build an investment office where that people aspire to join because they can gain the experience to leapfrog a level or two in their career faster than they would have otherwise, and where everyone feels empowered to act as a CIO, even though they might be at the beginning of their career. To me, that that is the perfection of the generalist model and also positions us well to outperform all of our goals. Well, amen to that. And that also speaks to a very good culture, I think, by definition. Well, I've really enjoyed it. We could go longer, but in the interest of our listeners, one thing, though, that I, I might add to the comment you made earlier about managers being willing to come to Cleveland or London or Abu Dhabi, they should come to Cleveland in February, not July. July is easy. They can sit on the lawn and listen to the world-famous orchestra. It's beautiful. Come in the winter. Come when it's, you know, things are a little bit tougher. Flights might be challenged, but uh, I think that speaks to people's commitment and interest in working with you. We have our doors are wide open for any investment manager who wants to come in February or May or September. So Cle Cleveland's uh, sort of a hidden secret on the lake, and um, it's been an amazing place to be for eight years. Well, Stefan, it was a pleasure being with you today. I really appreciate your insights, your thoughts, your personality, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Chaz. Appreciate everything that you do for the investment community and for everything that Rosemont does to bring innovative managers out there. And uh, and thanks to all your listeners and podcast uh, land for, for listening to us today. Great. Take care. 